Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regular podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the business, as well as to help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with the managing partners of Ruffian and Kindred, Moshe, Alexis, and Patrick. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. So how are you guys doing? Like what's what's going on? Can you give us an update? I mean, so for for those who are not familiar with these two amazing places, I I mean, I'm willing to go out on a limb and say you are by far the best wine bar in New York City. Um, <laughs> I would put you up against almost any other wine bar in the country. Um, I think what you do in terms of your list, your hospitality, your food is second to none. Um, so you know, you've, you've really built a massive following, not just in the East Village, but in the city for what you do. Um, can you sort of give us an update on what's happened since um, COVID, how, how you're adapting and, and how you guys are just doing both from a business perspective and also, you know, mentally? You want to start, Alexis or Mosh? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, the first word that comes to mind was just absolutely heartbroken. It was incredible. Last weekend or the weekend right before uh, the city and the state ordered the restaurants to be closed, we were kind of putting plans together that within an hour would become totally irrelevant. So it was sort of this scramble to catch up with the news and everything that was happening. Um, And we had actually decided to close before it was ordered. And to have to go through that process of laying off staff and, and pulling the trigger on that was pretty heavy (laughs) that was uh that was pretty heavy you guys can take over from that part i guess yeah it's weird 10 days ago we were talking about right um trying to cut down on staff and potentially you know maybe try to stay open and then immediately came to the decision that this wasn't going to work and uh, at least from from my perspective I'm, i'm the only parent out of the group um within one day of that my daughter had no school and uh, my wife is um, a therapist and she's still working. So, I, I mean, it, it wasn't like within two days, I wasn't even thinking about restaurants particularly much. It was just like taking care of my daughter and making sure I'm getting food. Are we all safe? Um, and we decided to, you know, cut off all communication, about, or, you know, all um, uh, contact uh, with everything. So life changed completely. And now it's been almost 10 days like this. Um, and then in the hours that my daughter is not awake or that I'm not watching her, I'm, you know, rushing to try to do things for the restaurants, um, or, um, you know, find spare time or anything else. But I've, I've never watched my daughter this much since she was half a year old. <laughs> yeah, I would say, you know, I think the, in terms of, you know, how we got here, I think the hardest, one of the hardest part, like Alexis said, was, you know, explaining to employees that this decision to close before the mandate was actually in their best interest. And that's like a weird, a weird thing to say to employees, but it was actually in their best interest for us to, you know, kind of just halt operations and regroup because this way they can be, you know, uh, eligible for unemployment. As we saw such a decrease in sales, like so many other restaurants in in New York and around the country that we knew it was not going to be possible to pay the bills, pay sales tax, and pay next week's payroll all next week. So that that was a tough thing to reconcile. Did you guys ever? Did you flirt at all with the idea of 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 being a to go restaurant, of still producing food, of of selling the wines for delivery? I know. I'll, I mean, for me, when we've discussed it with uh, other restaurateurs, et cetera, it almost feels like a weird 
kind of nasty carrot that the government's hung out to restaurants as opposed to saying like, look, we got you covered and we'll bail you out saying like, well, we're going to not let you be in regular business, but like you can do this if you still need to survive. Um, so I'm wondering sort of what your perspective was on that and um, what made you choose, I'm assuming not to do that at all. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think a lot of people have been struggling with it. I know we did. We've had many conversations even, you know, before we closed and then during and these last few days. And I think Oh, it was day you know, to day, hour to hour yeah. discussions. Yeah, I think this was unlike unlike nine eleven or Sandy or other, you know, kind of crises, this where people go out to eat and wanna kind of commiserate and like talk and, you know have that stress relief this is so different where the very thing we do really well is actually potentially deadly so it was this weird conversation of you know if we do do it how do we do it safely and what is our also you know at least in my perspective what's our contribution to public safety what's our social responsibility here as well so that that was my perspective as we we chatted yeah, um, I mean, almost on a like it was like a, a rolling day by day thing. I think it was probably Friday that I was sitting in Kindred um, and I was talking to one of Danny Myers' managers and found out I think it was on that Friday that about a week and a half ago that um, Danny Meyer was closing everything down. Um, and um, I was reading on my phone and he had announced that a day before and we we felt like that was maybe a little bit fast. But then I was reading on my phone that David Chang was about to do the same and remember thinking, okay, well, this is happening very quickly. And these people know more than we do, you know, definitely, you know, in this sense. So we we better start mimicking them. And we had made the decision at that point, I think it was on Saturday, that, you know, things were going to close down almost immediately. We finished the week out and we were talking about doing delivery. And I think it was barely on that Sunday or maybe Monday that David Chang put an article out that's they called it Fool's Gold. Yep, and it was great. It was very, you know, I mean, David Chang and, and, and Danny Meyer, these guys have been very good. And they've sent very clear communications within the industry about what they think is right. And it, it, it helped us a lot. Whereas the government, as you said, this kind of nasty carrot that they put out has been creating confusion and encouraging people to try to hang on potentially while losing money, instead of giving them clear instructions and say, you know, the business is going to be terrible right now. Everyone should just close unless you're designed and specifically prepared for delivery. Um, and instead, they should have been, the government should have been coming up with, um, I mean, obviously, COVID aside, but just in terms of the economics, a, a way to um, uh, take care of employees, take care of insurance, um, and in terms of interruption insurance and in terms of what um, insurance companies do, you know, find a way that they could participate in the burden that everyone is carrying instead of, you know, essentially cut them loose and allow them to to, to, to take a step away. Right. I think every restaurant's different. So I don't want to castigate anyone who is did change their model, whether it was to deliver or do takeout wine or food or whatever, because I think you know, every restaurant has a different employee structure or ownership structure or whatever. For us, we were like, this just doesn't make sense for us. And when we started not only accounting for the health risk, um, but the potential profit, we were like, let's take a pause. Let's make a plan that might be something we can uh, roll out and do in a longer term framework than just scrambling to you know, be running around ourselves, dropping off wine bottles. And that was our own right. decision. Yeah. The first reaction is not always the best. That's what I kept, you know, 
saying over and over to myself as I was seeing everyone kind of figure out what to do. Um, and like Alexa said, whether people did it or not, it's not good or bad. But we've noticed, as I'm sure we all have, like in the last couple of days, the people who have pivoted are also now closing because things have gotten more intense. There's a lot more, there are a lot more cases, more deaths. And I think they're realizing the risk is a lot greater than the reward at this point. Also, just straight up burnout. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to be running on fumes. Right. Yeah. And I, and I would prefer to focus on, which I think we have as a group, what's the bigger picture? You know, what loans can we get? What is the government offering employees and, and the businesses? What can we do to reopen in a stronger and healthier way? So, I mean, you may, you, this may not be a question you can answer, and it's totally fine if you can't. But if you can, have your landlords been understanding? Are you – do you have good relationships there? I think I, one of the the big pieces of stress we hear from a lot of other restaurateurs and uh, bar owners is that they don't know if their landlords aren't going to come to collect on April 1st, right, or on May 1st. Um, and that's giving them a lot of anxiety. Do you have good relationships? Happy to I would answer. say – yeah, go ahead, Pat. <laughs> oh, sure. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we, we're happy to answer that. Um, we have two landlords. I mean, I, and sorry, I want to answer this because I think other restaurateurs need to hear this. Um, we have we also have good lawyers, and our lawyers have given us some pretty solid advice on this. And you know, um, I can't imagine somebody who has less ex, you know less people around them than our group and with with the consultants we have trying to figure this problem out. So, um, in terms of landlords. We've been at Ruffian for half uh, for half of a ten year lease. We've got some tricky situations, you know, tricky things that relate to it in terms of having to kind of re-sign during this COVID process. Um, but that be and we've actually had a very rocky relationship with that landlord. Um, but that being said, we reached out to the landlord early. We reached out to them, I think, about a week ago, and um, they were in in email very understanding. Um, they have done what you said, which was they have not really given us a clear answer, um, but said that they're completely understanding that this will be, um, you know, this will, will not be a normal pay cycle. What we had proposed was offering them um, to cut our rent down to a quarter and then adding whatever difference was in our rent to um, the remaining portion of our lease. Um, and I think our lawyers have now said that because uh, the economy is going to be probably tanked, um, we we could probably get a better concession out of a landlord, especially for a longer lease than that. Um, potentially that we should be negotiating down permanently our, our lease forever, you know. Um, whereas our lease at Ruffy, at Kindred is brand new um, and it's involved multiple hiccups that I think the landlord at least considers themselves partially responsible for. Um, and they've been um, they've been really stand up. The whole time that we we've been you know both negotiating and also um, discussing this most recent part, they're wonderful. Yeah, and we we expect them to give us um, majority abatement or maybe even a well we don't know yet, but I mean much in the same thing they've not given us a total answer and want to wait for the government to signal what they're going to do. Right. I also just want to speak to other bills was that I think um, we very, very early, I think after Monday, Monday, we zipped up the restaurants and gave away all our perishables to our um, staff and our uh, sort of friends in the community. And then immediately on Tuesday, our Moshe was probably doing it before that. It was all about stopping the flow, like just like 
staunching the hemorrhage of money out of the restaurants. Just who can, you know, hold off on bills? How can we delay things? Asking favors, all of our vendors, just, you know, we just got on that really early so that we weren't just bleeding money, um, knowing that there wasn't going to be anything coming in. Right. Well, so for one, two more questions, I guess, so that we we keep this um, somewhat short. One is, I guess we'll make it a two-part and then you can answer both at the same time. One, how can, what should people be doing to help the restaurants they love and how can they help you? What should the, you know, as a whole, because I think one of the biggest things we see, right, is people saying, oh, we'll just order the delivery or takeout. But again, as we know, that's pretty much bullshit. And two, have you even begun to think about a path forward? Um, and if you have, what does that look like? And it's totally fine if you haven't. I don't think many people have at this point, right? It's it's still, we don't even know when this thing's going to end. Um, but just to give other people listening to this who may own a bar restaurant and not even sure what they're going to do at the end of the day, some some thoughts of what they should think about as well would be amazing. Yeah. Yes to both. So we're starting with part one, I'm assuming, right? Um, which is, say, say part one again. And we'll get the first. So first, how, how can people help you and other restaurants right now? Um, and is that is it better for them to call their Congress people, their senators, et cetera? Should they be donating? What do you recommend? Great. Um, in terms of help, um, I'll say generally speaking for the industry, um, about a million people in New York City lost their jobs um, over the last week in the restaurant industry. Is that correct, Moshe? Right, about a million. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, these people fall in the gaps that our government um, does not necessarily take care of. And while um, our small restaurant association has gone to the table and done their best to to fight for terms, um, I think people need to be very clear that um, restaurants have been thrown under the bus, even by New York State, which has done a good job. And calling New York State, uh, our governor specifically, Mayor Cuomo, as well as calling your congresspeople to tell them that – uh, once again, insurance companies must bear some portion of this burden. It is not okay if all of America bears this burden, but insurance companies take nothing, um, which is what they're attempting to do. So I think it's very important, as with many other um, disasters over the last 20 years, that insurance companies bear some portion of this burden. Um, no, nothing will help restaurants in terms of their rent unless it also helps the landlords and so without um, government le- legislation to protect both landlords of those tenants as well as the tenants themselves um, and give clarity to what decisions landlords and tenants should make, um, then we're going to have a lot of problems. So I think reaching out to the senators and say um, that they need to at least address the issue um, would be important. Um, but then on a specific level, um, and I say this both as what you can do to help us and advice for other restaurants to try to take care of their, their responsibilities, um, we've started a GoFundMe page, um, which specifically supports the insurance um, as well as other um, immediate needs of our employees, um, which we've raised enough money, at least for the moment, to pay for their first month of insurance, um, allowing them to concentrate on other problems that they need to worry about. Um, while we cannot afford to employ them, at least we were able to um, protect them in one way that is, that's necessary in this current climate. Um, and then we, uh, I'll answer the how we're going forward in the short run along with how you can help us. Um, we will start teaching wine classes online. Um, and you can follow it on our Instagram page. I think Motion might have more specifics as well. Um, and uh, we are going to um, do them probably twice a week. Uh, and we're still working out a pay structure, but we think about $10 per class. 
Um, and uh, it, it's vitally important for us to, well, I mean, yes, get a little bit of money, but to maintain um, our community, um, both in terms of offering the positive information, messages, um, as well as good things to distract you with. Um, and then as well as on the other side, um, having the community maintain in contact with us. And so I think for all restaurateurs, it's important for them to think of something they can do um, to continue to provide one of the, that, that thing that they provide for their community in terms of happiness um, and an outlet um, so that they can continue to have that community surround them for when they reopen. I would also say for in the longer term um, for reopening, make no mistake about it. Um, for people that are relaunching, it's like reopening. We're talking real dollars here. And so when people are stressed about reopening, it's not like you can just open your doors back up. We're talking about huge sums of money. It's basically like fundraising investorship all over again. So while we fully intend to um, reopen our entities, um, I, I just I would like people not in the restaurant industry to understand that that's a that's a huge task. That's a huge task to relaunch, um, and it's going to require a lot of help. So while when we are crying out for, you know, government help and insurance money, that's why because gift cards um, and those things help in the short term in order for operational funds. But man, it would take a lot of gift cards to help you reopen a restaurant. <laughs> our our <Yeah>. restaurants, <laughs> the two bigger restaurants, just lost between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars through this process, if not more. And that's not even counting rent and other stuff. Sales tax. Right. And then I think what, um, what we're, I guess I didn't make this point, but um, an important way to see this, you know, for people that are um, still employed on some level is the total, you know, the total revenue um, that our restaurant pays out in a week to its employees. So the amount that each of uh, the collectively are, 20 something employees are going to lose, which includes ourselves and we can't file for um, unemployment. Um, so about 25 people is in collectively something like almost $50,000 a week, a week, wow. not a month, a week. So that means if assuming that we are closed for two weeks, the 24 or 25 of us, not including the cost of the restaurant, just lost something like $500,000. Um, it will it will cost all of us in that sense in the restaurant industry, um, you know, not like all of your savings, 100% of your savings, plus you'll have to owe money. Um, and that's before we then turn around and try to open the restaurant back up. I'd also like to mention that a lot of these loans that people are like, oh, there's so many loans out here. Those are personal loans, a lot of them. So Imagine that like for us going forward to take out a personal loan when we don't have any source of income is extremely daunting. We don't even know when we're going to be able to open up again (laughs) or what the economy is going to look like. Yeah, it's really crazy. Well, I, for one, am very hopeful that you you open up again because it's one of my favorite places to drink. (laughs) Oh, we will, Adam. We're going to open again. Don't worry. Good. Thank you. So for for, for people who do want to help, um, if they do want to uh, provide some money towards the uh, GoFundMe, which helps the insurance premiums of our employees. Uh, they can go to our Instagram, R-U-F-F-I-A-N underscore NYC. That's Ruffian N- underscore NYC, where there's a link. Um, they can also visit RuffianNYC.com to buy a gift card and also find a link to the GoFundMe. And for the wine, uh, the online wine class series that Patrick mentioned, which we plan to launch this weekend, 
they can also visit the Instagram or website and find out more and how to participate. Um, and, and, you know, just something relates to every question you just mentioned. Um, and I just want to at least get a chance to, um, to mention them. Um, our, our, our dear friend um, and mentor Floyd Cardoz passed away yesterday um, related to COVID. Um, he was the chef restaurateur of Tapla along with his wife and, and some other people, as well as North End Grill, Bombay Bread Bar, um, Bombay Canteen, uh, and um, Palawala. Um, he, he inspired us to do a lot of what we did. Moshe and I both worked for him at the kind of pinnacle of our, our careers. Um, he was a great man and um, taught us how to take care of others when when Tabla went out of business. Um, I miss him so much, even just you know one one day in. But um, it, it was a powerful reminder of how he took care of us during a time of need and how we are responsibility to take care of others in the same situation. Um, and, you know, I think his, his lasting legacy of creativity, but also of family, um, as the first person I ever saw in the industry, um, as a, that was a great father, that was, um, that was a great leader of a group of people. Um, and I hope that his memory reminds us of um, how to handle ourselves in times like this um, and um, inspires us to, you know, to look forward. As I remember him at a very low time when Tabo went out of business and he did wonderful things after that time and turned around very quickly and made so much out of so little. Um, so our first wine class is going to be on um, wine and spicy food, um, specifically also sort of takeout delivery stuff. But we'll at least make sure we leave a little time to talk about um, sort of tabla style food and how it inspired our vision of wine. Um, and it's going to be about 45 minutes, but a lot of fun um, engagement and hopefully some wines that people have never had or thought about since I've, t I've called some things from my notes that have not actually been sold yet. Uh, so we, I'm at least going to pitch one wine that I don't think anyone knows yet. I would also like to say that that class, that first class will be gratis. Oh, sorry. Awesome. Yes. The first class will be gratis. Um, and then after that, we're talking about doing $10 per class. Uh, and Alexis is coming out the gate with champagne. Is that right? Yep. Amazing. Well, Patrick, I think that's a, uh, that's a perfect way to end with a reminder as well to all of us that this is a very real uh, you know, thing that we're all facing um, and it's impacting people that we love and we're mentors of us. So thank you for that and for that tribute. Um, and Moshe Alexis as well, thank you for coming on, taking the time. I know this is a very difficult time for all of us, but I really appreciate you spending, you know, 20, 25 minutes with, um, with me and with the listeners to sort of tell us what's going on with you and give us all ideas for, for a path forward. It's really, really appreciated. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Eric Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my Vine Pair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the Vine Pair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.